Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. A pastor was working late one Saturday night in his church, and the church's name was called Almighty God Tabernacle. So he decided to call his wife on the phone, and the phone rang, but she didn't pick it up. So he called again, and then she answered, and he asked, why didn't you pick it up? She goes, the phone didn't ring. So on Monday, he's back in the office at the church, and the pastor received a call. And the man on the other line said, hey, why did you call me? He said, I didn't call you. And then he remembered that he tried to call his wife, and she didn't answer. But he must have dialed the wrong number. So the man said, let me tell you something, Pastor. Saturday night, I was planning on taking my own life. Before I did, I prayed, God, if you're real, please show me. And the phone rang, and the caller ID said, Almighty God. I was afraid to answer. God's call saved that man's life. Amen. Raise your hand if God's call has saved your life. Only if you answer, right? We should never be afraid to answer the call of God. And that's what Abraham did. He answered the call of God. God has called each of us into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And I hope that we all have made that decision to answer the call. So before we go on, just to catch us up on the diagram, just to see where we are here in the story of Genesis. Remember, this is a diagram of unveiling the kingdom of God. And we have God's eternal kingdom. That's obviously eternal, never-ending. And then he created time and created the kingdom of God on earth. That's why Jesus says, it's interesting, he says, when you pray, pray what? Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's intention is for his kingdom to be lived out on this earth. And what happened was we had the fall. Remember we talked about Adam and his his sin and unbelief, Adam and Eve. And then we talked about Seth, who was born, and God has chosen Seth and then chosen Noah. We talked about Noah last week, how God chose him to be a part of restoring his kingdom back to earth. And then Shem, who's Noah's son. So we have a line here, what's called the seed. These are chosen people. We, we are part of that seed because of Christ now. But here we are in Abraham's time, which was about 4,000 years ago. And we're moving on up. We're, we're not going to get all the way to the New Testament. We're going to look at uh, Isaac and Jacob and Israel, but we're not going to get to Moses and David. But I just wanted to show you kind of where we are on the lineage. So you can follow along with your outline. And we talk about Abraham's call. God called Abraham. And God's call is audible. God speaks to us. Today, it's through his word, through the preaching of the word. So it's still audible. Who else did God speak to thus far as we've gone through Genesis? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created what the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless. And remember, the spirit was hovering over the water. And then what did God say? Let there be light. So God spoke to creation. He created by his spoken word. Then who did he speak to in the garden? 
Adam and Eve. And then remember he spoke specifically to the serpent, who is who? Satan cursed not the woman and the man themselves, but what they were made to do. And then we have the, that's the penalty, the consequence of disobedience. We all now have taken on this sin nature that's been passed down. And then we talked about Noah, which was nine generations after Adam. Noah comes and God speaks to Noah and says, I want you to build an ark. 120 years, he built that ark. And imagine the people, because Jesus said, before he comes, it will be as the time of Noah. So the people were mocking him, obviously mocking Noah's God. Same thing we see today. And now we come to Abraham because God had saved Noah. Do you remember how many people were on the ark with Noah? There's eight people all together. And then there were a lot of animals. Remember? Because God, he's not going to recreate from nothing. He was going to use Adam and the animals existing to restore and multiply the earth. Then Noah had three sons, Shem, who we get the term Semite. He's the original Semite. And then do you remember the other names of Noah's son? Ham and Japheth, right? Each son formed their own nation, so to speak, and Ham's descendants became one of his descendants. Ham was a despicable human being. This man's name was Nimrod. Remember Nimrod? Don't be a Nimrod. I did a sermon on that once. But he was extremely evil. He actually built the kingdom of Nineveh, which was part of Babylon. And his descendant, Nimrod's descendant, was Canaan, who became the Canaanites. So he was the father of Canaanites. But we have Shem, who God called out to be part of that seed, to mediate God's kingdom on earth. So Shem was Abraham's great, 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 eight times grandfather. So we have Shem, we have his lineage, then we end up here in chapter 12, Abraham. Does anybody know, well, what was Abraham's name before it became Abraham? Abraham, right? Do you know what town he lived in? Ur. Ur. I love saying, where are you from? Ur. Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans were people who lived in southern Babylonia, which today would be modern-day Iraq. Okay, so that's the area we're talking about. Abraham was a Chaldean. Now, let's look at this picture, this map. So we have the Babylonian Empire here. This is current-day Iraq. See the Euphrates there, Tigris River? Now, Ur is way down here. So that's where Abraham lived. Now, Ur sounds like it was be Podunk place, right? It was actually the largest city in Chaldea, and it was the principal economic power, and it was the center of political power, and highly intelligent, educated, and influential people lived in Ur, in the Chaldeans. So Abraham, when... When God calls Abraham out of Ur, he's not calling him out of like Podunk, Idaho, or wherever you're going. Or I don't want to you know, make anybody offensive because that's just the term, right? But uh, it wasn't Podunk. It would be like New York City 
or you know, San Francisco or a major metropolitan city. So when God calls Abraham out of Ur, he's calling him out of a really nice place to live for that time. Some people think, oh, well, yeah, I just I called him out of like a, a bad place. And no, it was a really nice place. And then to make it more interesting, God didn't even tell Abraham where he was going. He said, he calls him out and says, go to the land I will show you. So this is really about faith. It's about grace because God spoke to Abraham. He, had, he wasn't under no compulsion to speak to Abraham. But then Abraham listened and obeyed in faith. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, which is his name before Abraham. Abram, we say Abram, but it's Abram means exalted father. And Abraham means what? Does anyone know? Father of a multitude. So God changed his name later, but here he speaks to Abram. And so the question here is, like I said a little earlier, God is under no compulsion to speak to us, is he? I mean, is God under any compulsion to do anything outside of what he wills? So the fact that God spoke to Abraham and the fact that God still speaks to us today through his word, have you ever taken that for granted? I all the time, right? I mean, oh yeah, I know God speaks, but you know, don't ask me to listen or, you know, actually open the Bible and, you know, hear from him, right? So God speaks to us. He speaks to us, generally speaking, which is called general revelation, which in Romans chapter 1, it talks about the creation speaks about God. Like you can look at creation and have to go, oh, there's a God, right? Intelligent design, not just happened ironically that things came together. But that's just general revelation. Specific revelation is, okay, what does God want me to do with my life? How should I respond to God? Those are specific things. I believe in my son, Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Those are specific things. But God speaks to us in his word. Have you ever been reading, maybe you go through a devotional or something, or you hear something in a sermon or a song, and you go, wow, God just spoke to me. Did I have that? amazing. So that happens a lot, and it happened to me over a lot of times, right? But I remember one time specifically, we had moved back to this area in uh, 2001, and we are trying to find out where to live. So we are looking at all these houses, and there was closed door after another closed door. We were interested in the house where we currently live, but I felt, man, that, no, that's just way over our, we can't do that, right? I mean, that was like, no, we can't live there. We're praying, and So the morning that we had to make a decision, because at that time, people were actually like standing in line waiting to make offers on homes. I go, okay, well, we got to make a decision. So I I happen to be going through Jeremiah in my devotional. And I get to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 21. Now, the name of our street is Windswept Way. That's where we live. So I'm reading in Jeremiah 3, 21, the day we had to make a decision. And it literally said, Voices will be heard high on the windswept mountains. And I said, Deborah, God wants us to go there. Because I prayed, Lord, we need a sign. We need to know. Have you ever done that? If you haven't, you need to do it. You need to call, throw out a fleece. Be specific. It's like, I don't know what God wants me. I don't know what house. I don't know what job. Be specific. 
Say, Lord, if you do this or whatever you say, then I'll know it's an open door. Pray specifically. Or, God, if that doesn't work, I know it'll be a closed door. Then you're like walking in faith and you're not like blindly going, yeah, God spoke to me and I'm, I feel this is where God wants me to be. So God speaks to us and he speaks to us audibly through his word. In this case, in Genesis, in Abraham's life, God spoke to him audibly, but also through dreams and visions. In verse 1 of chapter 15, it said, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very. So God speaks to us in visions and dreams. The only thing about that is, is we have to align our dream and vision with what? The Bible. One time I literally had this guy come up to me a long time ago. He says, I found my ministry. I go, really? He goes, yeah, I'm supposed to minister to the women in the strip clubs. I'm like, really? How did you find that? He goes, well, I used to hang out there, and I think God's telling me to go back there. I go, okay, well, the Bible also says flee from temptation. (laughs) So have you taken that into consideration? We can't just come up with these cockamamie ideas and go, oh, yeah, well, God spoke to me. We have to make sure that we're aligning with what God says in his word. Then in Genesis 17, Abraham's a pretty important figure because there's a lot of chapters. I mean, through the whole Bible, he's in there. So in Genesis 17, now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. So it doesn't matter how old you are, how old you aren't, God still speaks to us. Now the question is, If God speaks to us, and I want to hear what God says, then what does that say about my focus of attention? Where should that be? Like right now, the word is being preached. The Holy Spirit is moving, moving already through worship and in our life, because we're all here and we have the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is working. But I'll tell you what, there are thoughts, and maybe not now, because you're probably going, I better listen, because he's going to call me out. But we sit, even in hearing the word preached or reading the Bible, do you ever start thinking and being distracted? That's a normal thing that we fight against is distraction. Like anybody else, I like watching a good baseball game or a good show or whatever, and that's fine. But if that's all I do all day long and then go to work and be on the phone and everything, and then I don't ever get focused on the Lord. This is important to not allow distraction to hinder what God wants to say to you. Now, did Jesus speak to people? Yeah, in Matthew 4, we read that he calls Peter and he said to them, follow me. And in Mark 2, he sees Levi, Matthew, and he says, follow me. So God still speaks through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is his word. And his word is powerful. Read this verse with me, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is all scripture as revealed by God through his word. And it's God-breathed. If we really want to hear from God, we need to be in his breath, per se. His spirit speaks to us through his word. And his spirit speaks to us through preaching of the word. Romans 10, 14 says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher 
or someone who's preaching or proclaiming the word. So God still speaks, but it's whose voice am I listening to? I want God-breathed revelation. I don't need to hear people bloviate on the TV about every this and that. I get tired of hearing it, and I get hooked on it just like you. Oh, did you hear what that guy said? And then we get in this whole little thing, and I'm like, I want to hear from the Lord. Don't you want to hear from the Lord? Right, and that's why we're here today. Now, God's call means leaving everything behind. Okay, this is not an optional thing when you answer God's call. Oh, yeah, I'll answer God's call when it's convenient to answer God's call. Or after I answer God's call, I'm like, yeah, Lord, I know you said to leave everything, but that's not convenient for me. See, we live in a very nice place, right? And we talk about, oh, yeah, the church is being persecuted. You know, someone laughed at me the other day when I was praying in public or said, why do you carry your Bible around? You know, little things like that. And we go, oh, my gosh, I was so offended. And then we think about people that live in like Sudan or places where they're getting their heads cut off because they're carrying around a Bible or they're proclaiming to be Christians. I think our comfortability factor needs to be aligned to reality and what it means to follow God. Okay? So here we have a man, Abraham, who was called out of a very nice place. In verse 1, God says to Abraham, he says, Go forth from your country. So that was his country. From your relatives. Leave your family. From your father's house. And Abraham, you're going to live in the most exotic place. Like you're going to have a cabana boy. And you're going to be out there. And they're going to be spraying you with stuff. And you're going to get massages and all on the beach. No, what does he say? He says, leave all that, leave your job, leave your family, leave what you're comfortable with, what you're used to, and go to the land which I will show you. It reminds me of Isaiah. I love Isaiah. Because in Isaiah chapter 6, talk about a guy who wanted to hear from God. He wanted to hear from God so much that God knew that, and he brings him into this worship service into heaven. And Isaiah is experiencing this worship service in heaven where the angels are singing and God's there seated on his throne. And God literally looks out and he says, I have a mission for somebody, but I can't find anybody. Whom should I send? And Isaiah in the vision goes, here I am, Lord, send me. Oh, what did I just do? Okay, Isaiah, I hear, I know your heart and I know your desire. You have a heart after me. So Isaiah... You're the one I'm going to send. And I'm not going to tell you what your assignment is. But you'll find out. And Isaiah leaves this incredible worship experience to come back to this earth. And he has to deal with grumbling, belligerent, supposedly followers of God, Israel. And then later, it's not till later, God reveals, Hey, Isaiah, you know when you raised your hand, I left this part out? That they're not going to listen to you. Dang. See, we sit there and argue with God. God, I didn't sign up for that. Oh, I thought you raised your hand. You wanted to follow me. Yeah, but no, no buts. (laughs) So when we say yes, did you mean it? Yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Because if so, then we need to stop arguing and stop complaining and start trusting the Lord because he's got a better plan than I do. Jesus said it this way. If anyone wants to come after me, he got to deny himself, which literally means say no to myself and take up his cross, which means daily I die to myself. 
And there's a difference between self-denial and denial of self because there's a lot of people who go through this whole ritualistic self-denial thing. And sometimes it's a show, like the religious leaders. Hey, look how holy I am. I'm going to fast or I'm going to do this. That's self-denial. Denial of self comes from a humble heart. It's for God's glory. Lord, I want what you want. I want to die to myself so that you can live through me. You know, C.S. Lewis said it this way. Humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. George Eldon Ladd writes, Denial of self is opposite to self-denial. Self-denial can have a selfish end. Denial of self means the renunciation of one's own will that the kingdom of God may become the all-important concern of life. That's what we should be about. Now, Jesus even went further with what it means to leave everything behind. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, wow, what? Now, what he's saying here is you can't love anything or anyone more than me. Because if you do, things are going to go backwards. So he's saying, if anyone comes after me and does not love less, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. No one can be a disciple of Christ and love something or someone more than Christ. But here's the cool thing. Abraham, you know, he left everything behind. He didn't really get to see the promised land. We get the full revelation of God. We know what's going to happen. But Jesus said this. He said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or children or farms, your work, your house, your city, your town, for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age. What he's saying is, you're going to get all that back because I've given you a new family in the church. And, along with persecutions, but also in the age to come, eternal life. So this is the thing. When we trust God and we die to ourselves and say, God, I want you to live through me. Use me in whatever way you want. Make me your voice. Make me your hands. Make me your feet. Lord, use me in this world to make a difference so that I can be a part of that line too that's mediating your kingdom to the darkness. When you do that, God blesses you and rewards you. Do you know that you can never outgive God? Do you know that? If you think you can, it's a fallacy. Well, we have that background. We're going to do part two next week. We're talking more about the covenant. But we're going to get into the covenant, which is called the Abrahamic covenant. And it's one of the most important covenants in the Bible. This slide shows two different covenants that are in the Bible. We have the Mosaic covenant. But here we have Abraham, who lived way back here. And he was given from God the Abrahamic covenant. Now, Mosaic covenant, when Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill, Jesus fulfilled all the law and the teaching and the prophets of God. Abrahamic covenant was one of faith, which is still active today because we are in the new covenant by faith. So this is how important the Abrahamic covenant is, because a lot of people don't get, what is Abrahamic covenant? What is that? This is really important. Now, there's three things of the Abrahamic covenant, land, nation, and blessing. Let's talk about each one. First of all, land. If you turn in Genesis chapter 12, you'll find that 
in the first few verses of 12, God specifies about parts of this promise. He says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land. What does that word mean? Land. You know that? It means land. It's not like hypothetical or allegorical, like, oh yeah, he's mean about heaven. No, land, like physical land, which I will show you. This is the promised land. In verse 7 of 15, God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess or occupy it. Now let's look at this land. Here's Israel, currently. 1948, they got their own land. The boundaries as told by God to Abraham is all this. So why are they fighting about this little thing here? Do you think the prince of the kingdom of darkness wants God to have more land? Or do you think less? When a church is planted, do you think the kingdom of darkness, Satan, wants the church to have land? No. Exactly right. So how do we get land? How? Okay, we pray, but what else? We get it. Do you think God has land for the gate? Okay, if so, let's possess it. Let's occupy it. Everybody's got to be on board. Let's do it, right? Because if not, we're not going to be here forever, are we? Is this like our ultimate destination for the, the church here at the gate? No. If you believe that, then start praying and start occupying and trust in the Lord and giving your portion to the Lord so that we can go. Right? That's what it takes. That's important to understand that land is important to God's kingdom on earth. Do you know that Jesus is coming back to occupy the land? Do you know that? And do you know that when he comes back, we get to occupy the land with him? For a thousand years, the Bible says, and we'll reign with him. And we'll be doing cool stuff. Like we'll be part of his kingdom and doing kingdom stuff like we should be doing now. And then at the end of the thousand years, the old earth and the old heavens will fade away. And there'll be a new eternal heaven that will be the most beautiful place you've ever seen in your whole entire life. You can't even imagine it. Because Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. That word place in Greek is topos, where we get our term topography. When he says place, he's not talking about, oh, there's a cloud with a harp, and you're going to be playing harp all day. That's boring. I like harp, but not all day and night. I don't want harp all day. It's like accordion. Who wants to hear accordion all day? I like accordion, but this is land. This is a place. So if Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and he's still preparing it. How awesome do you think it will be? Because God spoke in one sentence, and the whole creation came. Jesus is working on your place. That's what we have to look forward to. But we are instructed, and Abraham was to take land for God's kingdom. And then the next part of it is God promises Abraham to become a nation. So in chapter 12, back again, where we were... It says, and I will make you a great nation. Now, anyone know how old Abraham was at this point? He was 75 and no children. So God's saying, I'll make you a great nation. I have no kids and I'm 75. 
looks like a closed door, but it's not. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. God gets into more detail in Genesis 17. He says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. That's important. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I have made you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. Now, the nations have to do with his kids. Who are his kids? Isaac and who? Ishmael. So Isaac, we know, became as the promised son of Israel, right? Ishmael had his own name. In fact, God said, I bless you with the nations. It's the Arab nations. The Arabs believe that Abraham is their father. Now, when I say Arabs, they're Christian Arabs, and there's Muslim Arabs, and then there's probably agnostic and anything like that. But when I'm talking about the term, I'm talking more about people who don't believe in the God of the Bible per se. And they'll say Abraham is their father, which technically is correct. But the missing point is that Ishmael was not the promised child of the seed. Jesus did not come from the tribe of Ishmael. Jesus came from the tribe of Judah, which was one of Isaac's sons. So that's important to understand. So the nation is important. And then the blessing in verse 3 says, And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. So in this context, he's speaking of the nation of Israel and actually the church because there's a spiritual nation which we become a part of. The Bible refers to the church as a holy nation. We're a spiritual nation. And Abraham's our father in faith. So God's saying anyone who blesses you will be blessed. He's speaking of you and the nation, Israel and the church. And one who curses you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth will be blessed. So that's a continuous promise that will happen. And it will culminate in Matthew 25. We won't have time to go there. But you jot it down. Read Matthew 25, 31 through 46 this week. And in the context of judging nations. And you will see that when Jesus refers to the goats and the sheep, and the sheep are the ones that enter into the kingdom of God in heaven, Those are the nations that blessed God and blessed Israel because he speaks, my brother, anyone who brings a glass of water to my brother, read it. Because in that time, the nations will be judged according to how they treated God's people, whether it be Israel and the church. Make sense? Now, in Genesis 22, 18, and so this is another promise, in your seed... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now turn quickly to Galatians 3, chapter 3, verse 16. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Does anyone have that up that can read it out loud? Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seed, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. That verse is defining and explaining what God said here in Genesis 22. In your seed, Paul says, he didn't say seeds. He says seed, that is Christ. Through your seed, Abraham, that is Christ, 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Is that true? Okay. Next, God's covenant is a covenant of grace, but is accompanied by a profession of faith. Grace and faith. We'll talk way more about this next week, but I want you to see the correlation. Grace is God's movement to us. Faith is our response back to him. So here's how, interestingly enough, you talk about, oh, Abraham, leave your land of Ur and follow me to a land I will show you. And by the way, I'm not telling you this part yet. Then he gets to 17. He says, this is my covenant of grace because you didn't deserve it, Abraham. I just called you out which you shall keep between me and you. And here's how you're going to symbolize this. Every male among you shall be circumcised. (laughs) Now, Abraham was 99. I don't need to talk about that any further, but the symbol is being cut away or separated from the world. So it's kind of like an outward expression of what God has called us inwardly to be. And Abraham expressed this through being obedient. When was Abraham circumcised and when, did he, when God did tell him? Did he tell him to circumcise him and the people before or after God gave him the promised covenant? After. That's important. It wasn't circumcision that made the people holy. It was God made them holy and their response should be obedience. Now look, Ephesians 1.13. In him, this is in the New Testament, obviously, you, the Christian, after listening or hearing the message of truth, the gospel, after you believed, you were sealed. So it's belief that is the key, not circumcision. That's the whole thing in Galatians that Paul had a problem with, the people trying to circumcise believers to say that that's how you become a Christian. That's not how it works. We're saved by grace through faith. Now, interestingly enough, Israel was called to have a physical circumcision. We receive a spiritual circumcision. Now look, Colossians 2.11, In him you are also circumcised, he's speaking to the church, with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ by his spirit. Romans 2.29, read that with me. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit. So what has been circumcised to be representative of the faith that you've placed in Christ as you are separated from this world and belong to Him? Your heart. Who has done that? The Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit has come into your life and now you are circumcised spiritually in Christ. Okay? So as a New Testament believer, we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's salvation. If you try to add to it, then you take out the cross. It's all about him and all our responses to believe. We receive the Holy Spirit when we believe. So then what is our profession of faith? Is it an altar call? Is it a fill out a commitment card? You know, I commit my life to Christ or sharing your testimony. Well, all those things are great. But here's the New Testament profession of faith. You know what it is? Water baptism. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, does water baptism save us? No. Same thing with physical circumcision. didn't. But that's the outward expression 
of what God did inside of us. In Acts chapter 2, it says, So then those who had received God's word were baptized. So it comes after believe. Acts 8.12, But when they believed, Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, they were being baptized. So it's after belief. So Abraham was called to be circumcised and the nation of Israel following after belief, not as a way to get saved. But when God calls us, there should be a profession of faith. So have you answered God's call first to become a part of his kingdom, to follow Christ? And you place your faith in Christ. Raise your hand if you've done that. If you place your faith in Christ, then I want to encourage you to be water baptized if you have not. You can do that. And remember, don't let anyone talk you out of it because the devil never wants you to be baptized. He doesn't want you to trust Christ. So if you haven't been baptized, go to the app and sign up. Or afterwards, remember to go back to the table and we'll take a sign-up sheet for you to be baptized. And the information is on the back of the connection guide. You can email uh, Sue as well. What we want to do right now, I want Sierra to come up. I did talk about an altar call. I think it's important in times in our life, whether it be obviously for the first time that you make a commitment where you trust Christ, to do a public confession of that faith. It's between you and the Lord, but it also is something that I think blesses you and blesses God. But also, I think it's over time to do like a recommitment or a, because I hate saying recommitment because we always blow it and we feel like we always have to recommit, but just a republicization, a profession of your faith that, yeah, I say yes to God today. You know, I don't know all the details, but I just want to stand up and I want to come forward and I want to just say, you know, I say yes to God. Can we do that? Okay, so while Sierra sings and plays a song, if that's you, just come and I'm going to come up here and just express that you're saying yes to God. Okay, let's come forward. Thank you, Lord, for the people that have come forward. I think sometimes we diminish the importance of this type of altar call because every person in here is made in your image to be a part of ruling this world according to the kingdom rules. 
and to be a light in the darkness so that those in the darkness can come forward. Every call has that same aspect. First, to be in a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, which I, if anyone did that today and you've expressed that faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Bible says when you call in the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. But also there's times, Lord, that I know I need to step up again. I need to say, you know, Lord, maybe I've been complacent or maybe I've been fine. Maybe you haven't done anything wrong. But just today is the day that you said, Lord, yes, I want to live the life that you have for me. I want to die to myself because it's about you, Lord. It really is about you. It's not about me. So thank you, Lord. And I, I pray for this church, the gate, which Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Lord, may we be that gate so that people can come into heaven and live forever. And Lord, we, we want to occupy the land. You know, we're, you know, we look at the numbers and we say, oh, you know, we're small, but Gideon had 300 people and kicked the butt of the other army so but it wasn't him in his it wasn't in his flesh it was in your spirit make us in your spirit lord wake us up wake your church up lord the the the, there is a battle in this nation there's a battle in this world between good and evil darkness and light lord we're the light of the world we want to Live by your grace. We're not going to beat each other up. We're not going to beat ourselves up. But we're going to trust you and believe you and go to the land and go to the place and go to the job and go to the house and go to whatever it is that you are calling us because that's where we should be. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amen.